Welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, of course, Justin Jackson. And in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL, what's going down there. We will have a look at our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We will talk about the NBA, what's happening there. And then we will have our best for last. Now, remember, you follow at Daytime Sports on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Just In Time Sports Podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. We have an absolutely jam-packed show, as you guys heard in the intro. We're going to talk about the NFL. We're going to have our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We're going to talk about the NBA. We're going to have best for last, which I will give you a sneak peek. It's talking about college football and the college football playoff and what's going on in college football in general. Um, Absolutely loaded show uh, jam-packed but of course we got to dive as always into the nfl and when we jump into the nfl what do we take a look at we take a look at thursday night football last night that i was thoroughly happy about i'm sure the ratings weren't great i didn't check out the nielsen ratings this morning i'm sure they weren't spectacular um, but i thoroughly enjoyed the game it was new england my patriots we played the atlanta falcons and of course whenever time the patriots and the falcons play you get 28 three jokes you get, you know, what's happened since that game. Um, many people have said, myself included, that New England may have broken the franchise. Um, I'll never forget Arthur Blank coming down from the press box. It was, might have been 28-10, early fourth quarter. Arthur Blank coming down from the press box and them showing him going from happy, jubilation, excited, thinking that he's going to bring the city of Atlanta its first Super Bowl, uh, thinking that he's going to effectively end the Patriots dynasty and win a Super Bowl, have an MVP with a Super Bowl championship. Super Bowl parade through the city of Atlanta was all expected. Uh, I had friends in college at the time in Atlanta um, saying stuff, you know, telling me that the buzz around the t- around the city of Atlanta was insane and how crazy the Super Bowl parade would be and the parties and stuff like that. Um, and, and then, of course, we know what happens. Tom Brady and the Patriots score 31 unanswered points um, starting at 2-12 in the third quarter and winning the game in overtime, Atlanta never scoring again. And update, Atlanta still has not scored again on the Patriots. Uh, the New England Patriots defense was dominant. Um, 25-0 victory should have been worse. I mean, we could have been talking 40-0. Um, that was a couple of it was a couple of missed kicks, uh, a couple of opportunities in the red zone that became field goal that probably shouldn't have been. This game could have easily been 40-0. Um, four interceptions from the New England defense on three different quarterbacks. Matt Ryan threw two. Josh Rosen throws a pick six on his third pass. And Felipe Frank comes in for one play and throws an interception himself. Um, so massive defensive performance led by Kyle Vanoy, led by Matt Judon and the rest of the crew in New England, uh, the McCourty, Devin McCourty, I believe, and the rest of that crew in New England, uh, absolutely dominant performance offensively for the Patriots. You had Damian Harris, you had Ramondre Stevenson, uh, dominating in the run game, the Patriots offensive line, which was much maligned earlier in the season, mostly due to pass protection. Um, it's starting to round into shape, especially running the ball. They're a dominant run blocking unit, and they're also getting a little healthier. Uh, Mac Jones controlled the game. He does what Mac Jones does. High completion percentage. This was above 80. Uh, high high passer rating. Um, made the throws he had to to keep drives moving. And, and he did throw one interception. Uh, wrong read. A.J. Terrell was playing in between a seam and a rail route. Um, Terrell jumped the seam and Mac threw the seam anyway when he would have had John New Smith effectively wide open up the rail or Kenji Bourne wide open up the rail. He tried to force it into John New Smith and he did Terrell intercepted it, um, which is really Mac's only mistake of the night. But all around great, 
great uh, performance. Back to back, I mean, that second great performance in many days, a second great performance in four to five days as we transition into what happened last week in the NFL. The Patriots dominated the Cleveland Browns. So over the Patriots' last 120 minutes of football, their last two games, they are 70 to 7. Um, and they have 70 unanswered because Cleveland started off the game on their first drive, opening drive touchdown. Although, like Baker Mayfield, Kevin Stefanski, and the rest of that crew maybe didn't solve the New England Patriots defense, but they may have had a couple of answers to the test. Uh, that theory was quickly disproven right after that. Um, now, the Browns did go into the game, no Nick Chubb, obviously, due to COVID protocols, but and no Kareem Hunt due to injury. Oh, obviously, Odell Beckham had already moved on. Um, so they were missing a few pieces, um, but the Cleveland Browns were a high-ranking offense. And the national narrative around Baker Mayfield was that he was better, some would say substantially better, without Odell Beckham. Um, he overcame not having Nick Chubb before. So many people were thinking that this game was going to be close. And then, of course, you look at the defensive personnel of the Cleveland Browns. You have a Miles Garrett. You have a Jadavion Clowney. You have a Greedy Williams and the rest of that crew. And so when you've got a situation like that, um, and then Cleveland comes down and scores a touchdown, uh, I remember thinking to myself, man, it could if the Patriots don't come down and score, we could look up and it's 14-0, and now you're almost already pulling Mac out of a situation where he is going to sit there and be comfortable, and instead he is worried about trying to make up points quickly. Um, that was not the case. After that opening drive touchdown, the Patriots rip off 45 straight, parlay that into last night's game, uh, 25-0 against the Atlanta Falcons. And like I said, you're looking at 70 straight unanswered points from the New England Patriots or from New England Patriots opponents uh, towards the Patriots. So now I must say about Cleveland in that game, other than I told you so. That's all I got to say. As I got to say one big fat, I told you so. And the reason why I have to say one big fat, I told you so, was because I told you that the more Baker returns to a sense of normalcy in terms of what is expected around him to do in the NFL, the more you realize Baker Mayfield should not be your starting quarterback, especially anywhere near the $40 million mark. I wouldn't have him sniff the $32 million mark. I wouldn't have him sniff the $30 million mark. Um, Baker Mayfield is a solid NFL quarterback. He's a solid NFL starting quarterback. Um, he is a very solid NFL quarterback. Is he above average? Um, that would rectify he's 14 or above. I think he's in the average range. Uh, somewhere between 14 and 17. If they're not doing rankings, more of preference, more of how they play by the game. But between uh, 14 and 17 would be the spot I would have Baker Mayfield. And what makes it interesting is he got tortured by Bill Belichick. Um, and he also have, I mean, he's not had great games against well-known defensive coordinators, which speaks to those defensive coordinators, but also speaks to Baker. Um, if his team is outrushed by 50 yards or more, He's 0-14. So that means he has to have a even or a better run game. We already know what it's like when he has to throw the ball more. That's also a bad record, which kind of reflects into the rushing record as well. Um, Baker Mayfield needs a lot of things to go really, really well on game day to win. It's not a crime. That's not something where you say, oh, my God, Baker's terrible. Because most of the quarterbacks in the NFL need it to be 90% right for them to win the game. Um, you know, and there's no shame in that. But none of those quarterbacks are clamoring in 20 progressive commercials and uh, trying to get $40 million a year out of their organizations as well. And so when you've got some situation like that going on, you've got to be careful if you're Cleveland, you're Andrew Berry, who's the general manager, um, in falling into uh, a Baker Mayfield contract trap. And now we're going to shift gears um, to a situation I didn't know we would see this year. And a situation that apparently one of the players on one of the teams doesn't watch a lot of games about. Um, the Detroit Lions did not lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers. They also did not win against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Detroit Lions came to an unceremonious tie. 
16 to 16 after 70 minutes of football leads you to tying in the National Football League. Obviously, you got the 60 regular minutes, then you got the 10 minute overtime, no one scored, then you walk away with a tie, which one of the popular phrases during when the ties were kind of popular, actually, it felt like it was one a week, uh, was it was like kissing your sister. Like, you, yeah, you kind of did nothing. Like, you did a thing, but you didn't do anything. It's not, it's not accomplishing anything. Um, you basically practice just to go practice again, and now you're going back to practice to then play a game. Um, then the, and both teams had several chances to win it. Um, just because the last, in overtime, just in general, the Lions were inept and had a field issue. I don't know if it was holding or slipping, and Shanks a kick badly. Pittsburgh gets in field goal range. Just seeing what happened to the Lions, decided to get a little closer themselves, and a fumble comes out. Um... Neither Jared Goff nor Ben Rosberger thought they wanted to actually win the game. Um, and Dan Campbell made some very questionable decisions as well. But Mike Tomlin wasn't perfect either. Um, and so the teams ultimately tied. Um, as I alluded to a little earlier, Pittsburgh Steelers running back Najee Harris was unaware you could tie in the NFL. Obviously, being in college, you see um, as many overtimes as you need for somebody to be declared the winner. I suppose in the NFL, you could either A, win the game, or you B, lose the game, or you C, tie the game. Um, and so the overtime periods are very entertaining, uh, very interesting, because after that first visit by each team, it is sudden death. Um, and sudden death situations always resonate in the mind of sporting fans, because when you have a situation where it's sudden death, it's instant, it could be over tomorrow, um, this is the last battle. It is always, and I do mean always, um, very entertaining a um, little bit of breaking news um tj watt joe hayden and kevin dotson will be out for the pittsburgh steelers um against the los angeles chargers so that swings that game we'll just talk about a little bit later but that definitely affects um that game even how that's played how that should be bet um all kinds of things that affects it majorly puts a little dent to the pittsburgh steelers but, um, speaking of those Steelers, tying the Detroit Lions may be a benefit in the win-loss column because it's one less loss, but it may be a dent into the confidence and morale of the team. Um, when you look at a situation where Pittsburgh's in, they are, in their minds, fringe Super Bowl contenders. So, everything they do is to become better at playing in a Super Bowl, and that means passing responsibilities better. That way, the chain of command is shorter. Um, that means doing many other things to ensure that the city of Pittsburgh has a legitimate chance at having a Super Bowl representative. And tying Detroit, it may, like I said, it may help you in the short term. It may seriously affect your long-term ability to keep guys engaged, keep guys interested in the Steeler way, in the steel curtain, in the myth and the lore of free of teams going by. Speaking of myth and lore of teams going by, the myth and lore of the Tampa Bay Bucks got a white um, against the Washington football team. They, the Washington football team ended the game on an 18-play, 80-plus yard drive that took 10 and a half minutes off the clock. Well, Washington got the ball with a little under 11 minutes left after Brady cut the lead to three. Um, we got a little, little under 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter, and I remember saying repeatedly, if... Brady gets his ball back and he's down anything more than a touchdown, he's going to go win the game. Um, and that's a lot of pressure for a guy like Taylor Heineke. Um, Ron Rivera has never been in that spot before to truly boil a game like that. Um, and you've got a few players who, you know, was born when Tom Brady was in the league or getting close. And so when you can take a look at that, Washington got the ball with under 11 minutes left. And they scored the game-sealing rushing touchdown with about 30 seconds left. It was masterful to watch. Um, you could just see on Brady's face, he was starting to realize what was happening. Um, he started warming up at about the four-minute mark to stay loose because it was a big third down right around that time. And when they converted it, he ultimately sat back down. And it was wild to see them just march down the field. I mean, third and seven, they get eight. Um, second and nine, they get ten. Uh, third and three, they get four. I mean, it was just a masterful job 
and completely boiling the clock out. At one point, they got like a third and 13 of a long third down. Tampa started burning timeouts because they were getting stops. And then Washington converted. And it was like when they converted, it felt like the air left the uh, Tampa sideline. Um, it was rough. Uh, it, it was it was really rough. Like I said, it felt like the air just left the Tampa sideline after the conversion. Um, rough to see for Tampa, but highly impressive for the Washington football team because that's the kind of win you can build a culture around. That's the kind of win we can tell those guys, hey, we got the 53 in this locker room to go do whatever we want to do and the season's out in front of us, which is true. I mean, Washington's only a game or a couple, a couple games back out of the wild card. So, I mean, the season is in front of Washington. It's the kind of game that can help you with that. If you're Tampa, this is the kind of game you do not want um, because you got your teeth kicked in by the Saints. You have a bye week. You come out of that bye and you get physically pounded by Washington. Um, so that's something that as a Tampa Bay fan, I'd be extremely concerned about. But if you're not a Tampa Bay fan, if you're another NFC East, if you know the NFC contending team, rather fan, um, be excited. Tampa has a lot of kinks in their armor. They don't seem to be overly physical. Brady doesn't seem to be locked in. Uh, now they are missing Gronk. They are missing Antonio Brown on offense, which could be, which will play a big factor once those guys are healthy. But all in all, huge moment for the NFC, showing that Tampa does have weaknesses, especially up the middle on defense. And the return of the dynasty that never was, the Kansas City Chiefs absolutely smack the Las Vegas Raiders in front of everybody, primetime television. It was an absolute annihilation um, on Sunday Night Football, 41-14 or 41-17, one of the two. Chiefs rolled the entire game. Uh, the offense looked back. It looked slowed down and contained in the first half. It got unleashed a little bit in the second half. The defense played absolutely great once again. Another good week of Chiefs defense. And it looked like those Kansas City Chiefs are going to be pestering again and bothering people again um, in the playoffs. So the Kansas City Chiefs now lead the AFC West, um, leapfrogging the Chargers, who lost um and the raiders obviously with the chiefs beat and the chiefs are now first place in the afc west uh and they look back so it'd be very interesting to see how they play this week against the dallas cowboys a game we will talk about later uh quick hitters antonio brown had a, a vaccination card question concern uh antonio brown's former chef uh, reportedly or told reporters and media outlets that Antonio Brown obtained a fake vaccination card and is indeed unvaccinated. Um, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers went through their um, went through their verification process, got everybody's card verified. They went through the league and stuff like that, and all cards were verified. So it sounded like the chef was doing a little bit of hating, but um. Luckily, the Bucks did a little bit of investigation and solved the mystery. Um, Dallas Goddard re-signed with the Philadelphia Eagles for four years, $59 million, with $37.5 million guaranteed, making him the fourth highest paid tight end in the NFL. Absolutely deserving of that deal. Absolutely huge deal. I remember when they stole him right in front of the Dallas Cowboys. Um, and Jerry Jones coming out and saying, man, we really wanted Dallas in Dallas. Um, so the other media outlets made the joke as well. Um, but he is well deserving of this. The reason why Zach Ertz is not Arizona Cardinal is because Dallas Goddard's progression came along so well. And Odell Beckham's debut in a Los Angeles Rams uniform did not go as expected. Um, a, I believe he played earlier than he would have. Robert Woods not have torn his ACL. B, he had two catches on three targets. Um, and you could tell just from the way they were playing with him or using him, he doesn't know much, which is not shocking considering he was on the ground 48 hours. Um, he would never play inside of the 20. So that's coming out of the end zone or going into the end zone. Adele Becker was not on the field. He also rarely played on rundowns early in the game. Uh, towards the end of his usage, he started playing more on rundowns, but he rarely played on rundowns. Why does this matter? Because A, he gave away a tip. But those in the game, the balls are going in the air. But it showed that he really wasn't ready. Not having that full grasp of the playbook, 
not having that um, understanding of the timing and stuff like that of the offense that needs to have when you're inside of the 20s. So Odell Beckham, they had Rams have a week off this week, and then they play next week. So hopefully by then he'll have two full weeks of practice, and he will have a lot more understanding and timing. But up next, we're going to shift to this week, NFL Week 11, jam-packed week in the NFL. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to talk about week 11, um, jam-packed with a lot of potential playoff matchups. Now, not matchups, but maybe they're playoff indicators. So a lot of these games have big playoff implications, the word I kept trying to find and couldn't find it. A lot of these games have major playoff implications. Um, We're going to do a little five-pack of those games to talk about what's going down there. Uh, if they're not in Jack's pack, we'll pick a winner. Uh, if they are in Jack's pack, obviously we will not. We will save that for Jack's pack, which is our NFL betting segment, which is the segment right after this one. Um, we're going to start off with the Eagles and Saints. Not in Jack's pack. We'll pick a winner. I'm going to go Eagles here. Um, first of all, Eagles are at home. So that's a major advantage between two teams kind of on the same playing field. I've got the Eagles at home. Second, second big thing. Alvin Kamara is highly doubtful. I do not believe he's played this week. And we've seen what that offense looks like without him. But it's another week Sean Payton had to adjust without him. So we don't know. But we've seen guys like, uh, we've seen the Tennessee offense. Derek Henry's been gone. We watched the Cleveland offense without Nick Chubb. We've seen the Panthers offense without Christian McCaffrey. When these offenses are running back centric, um, it is very hard as we evident as evident of the you know what we've been seeing for a team to adjust, especially not having a starting quarterback. You're rolling with Trevor Simeon. It is really hard for a team to adjust to not having that great uh, running back. Uh, all right, whoa. Um, Amari Cooper has been placed on the COVID list. Um, breaking news: there, he will not play on Sunday, and the Cowboys play on Thursday night which means there is a good chance he will not play for two consecutive Cowboy games. Um, Wow, big news there. And definitely changes the landscape of that game and the prospect of how that game will will go. Um, Huge, huge, absolute huge decision um, going down there. Um, it's, It's unfortunate if he's in doubt. It must mean that uh, he is questioning his vaccination status is in question if he's in doubt for Thursday. Um, so because that's, that's a few days away. Now, I know unvaccinated players have a 10 day quarantine, so he'd automatically be out. So I guess he is vaccinated. So he's got to produce two negative tests uh, 24 hours apart and he'll be able to play. He can't play Sunday. He's out Sunday. Um, but because he tests positive today. There's no way you'd produce a two negative test. It's just not possible. Um, but he has a chance at it, even though it's an outside chance. He has a chance at it uh, Thursday. And said it's a very, very outside chance. But he um, he has an outside chance at it for Thursday. But shifting back to the Eagles and Saints, and so uh, I was talking about the Saints being down Alvin Kamara and how we've seen other teams in similar positions with running backs being the key to their offense, their offense look very different. And you don't have your starting quarterback. You have Trevor Simeon instead of Jameis Winston. Um, obviously, no Michael Thomas. Um, but you got a great defense in the Saints. Flip it on the other side, Jalen Hurts is figuring it out a little bit. I, I know I talk about Jalen Hurts, and I still don't believe in Jalen Hurts long term. Um, but ultimately, he is figuring it out. He produces. Um, it's not pretty. It's not artistic. It's not the way you would teach to do it, but it is effective. We've seen it be effective um, multiple times. And so he puts up points. You know, he produces numbers. They score in Philadelphia most of the time. And so, like I said, it's not necessarily artistic or the way you would dream it up if you were in a quarterback coaching camp, but it does get the job done in Philadelphia sometimes. Devontae Smith is starting to heat up. Um, obviously, you got Dallas Goddard. Uh, their defense isn't great, 
So if the Saints are going to have a game where they can score even without Alvin Kamara, it will be against this Philadelphia defense. Um, and then conversely, you look at the last time this Saints defense seen Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts had success against the Saints defense. Uh, he was able to move around um, by default, spread that Saints defense out, make it work, make it run around a little bit. And so by that standard, Jalen Hurts has a good shot at winning this game. I'm actually going to pick the Eagles to win this game um, by a score of 21 to 20. The next game with massive playoff implications is Colts at Bills. Now, I'm going to go with the Bills here, um, but it would not shock me at all if the Colts win it. Um, it is Again, it's not in Jack's pack, so we're going to pick it. I'm going to say Bills by three, and I'm only going to give them three because of home field. If it's an Indy, i probably go Colts by three. Uh, this is a big game for a lot of different people. Hard Knocks, the in-season Hard Knocks, uh, which I have not watched that episode yet. Um, the in-season Hard Knocks has started for the Colts. Uh, they have no chance of the division now. The Titans are going to run away and hide with the division. Um, but they do have a, a chance at the AFC wild card. So they're going to chronicle their experience trying to get the wild card. This is going to be a huge game against the Bills. Um, why is this a huge game? It's a massive game. And it's a massive game against the Bills because, A, the Bills right now are currently second place in AFC East. The Bills have not, not been first place in the AFC East in a year and a half. This is the first time the Bills have not been first place in the AFC East since the Tom Brady era ended in New England. And so now they are staring, looking up at the Patriots. It's only a half game. They win Sunday. They're back in first. But pressure's on Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills now to continue to hunt behind the New England Patriots and to continue to push the Patriots off. Those red hot winner of five straight New England Patriots. Um, conversely for the Colts, you got hard knocks chronicling your playoff chances you have Carson Wentz who's trying to prove that he can lead Indianapolis for the next decade and not just this year and next year um you've got a coach in Frank Reich who's trying to validate the belief that the uh, Chris Ballard and Jim Mercy had in him when they brought him from Philadelphia and he was the offensive coordinator during Wentz's almost MVP year uh, you have a defense that's trying to validate itself uh, in Indianapolis. And you, like I said, and then on the Bills side, you've got a team finally looking up at someone else. But I've got the Bills winning this game by three due to the fact that it's in Buffalo. Huge game as far as wild card implications is the next game. And that game itself is the Cincinnati Bengals at the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, the Bengals... Three weeks ago, were the number one team in the AFC. They are now the number four team in the AFC North. Uh, number three or four team in the AFC North. So that being said, they are trying to scramble back. Um, they finally got a bye week last week. They were able to uh, rest, recuperate, and recover. Uh, I'm sure they're going to have something for Vegas. Now, I spoke about it a few weeks ago. I spoke about it in regards to John Harbaugh. Good coaches win bye games. Games after the bye. Period. Don't matter on the road, they're at home, you're playing a great team, playing a bad team. Good coaches win the game after the bye. I think Zach Taylor is a good coach. I can't prove it yet, but I think Zach Taylor is a good coach. Um, Las Vegas may be starting the tailspin. Um, maybe the off the field stuff is just starting to become too much for the organization. And um, they may be starting to tailspin. This is a good time for Cincinnati to go into Vegas. It's going to be a neutral site-ish game. Cincinnati doesn't tra travel well, but Vegas doesn't have a set home base in Vegas just yet. At least it doesn't feel that way. Because uh, Kansas City had a very strong presence in Vegas uh, Monday night. Uh, Raiders have a short week. Bengals have extra time due to the bye week. Um, I'm going to go with the Bengals here. Again, another game not in Jack's pack. I'm going to go with the Bengals here. Uh, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon, the rest of that crew have had time to rest up. The defense had time to recuperate. They had a couple nagging injuries. They were able to get that taken care of. So I'm going to go with the Bengals here by 10. Um, so uh, if, you're, if you're into that game, Bengals by 10 would be my pick um, for that game. Cowboys at Chiefs have taken a turn to the left a little bit. With the Amari Cooper news, um, we were all over it on J-Time Sports, Facebook, Twitter, um, and Instagram, of course. We were all over it um, because now I was going to say Cowboys by six. 
But Amari Cooper means that much. I'm going to go Chiefs by three. Uh, with the Chiefs, they want to be able to isolate something. And if Amari's on one side and CD's on the other, you can't isolate anything. You actually put a guy like Daniel Sorensen into danger because now he kind of has to drop back. But now with Amari Cooper out, CD Lamb is going to be the primary focus for the Kansas City Chiefs defense. I would not be surprised if Andy Reid um, doesn't do a lot, or sorry, rather, Steve Spagnola doesn't do a lot of different things to try and confuse um, Dak Prescott by, you know, doing different things to CD Lamb. Now, Dak Prescott is a veteran quarterback these days. He's smart. He knows what to do. But when you, but you, when you have the freedom to say the other guys won't kill us, you know, Cedric Wilson shouldn't kill us. That sort of thing. You can get inventive where you don't have to worry about covering one guy 24-7, which would be in this case CeeDee Lamb because Amara Cooper's out on the reserve COVID list. Um, like I said earlier, this he's out for Sunday and puts Thursday into jeopardy as well. Um, look on the Chiefs side, their defense is showing up. I was talked about him on another show on the Sports Debaters Network. Um, football football Sunday morning talk. We do it live. Um, and I was on that show saying that I didn't think she was going to make the playoffs because their defense felt unfixable. And not only did it feel unfixable, the coordinator, Steve Spagnolo, who is the coordinator for Chiefs, was the coordinator for the 2012 Saints defense that was the worst defense in history. This Chiefs defense is on pace to be worse than that defense with the same DC. Spags couldn't figure it out then, and I had doubts he figured it out now. now. I don't know if he's not playing great quarterbacks right now, or if it's just that he's really figured the scheme out or the personnel out removing Sorensen from the field. Um, and you are starting to see an improvement in the Kansas City Chiefs defense. They've been really, really good, especially at the halftime, making adjustments. Um, so I've got the Chiefs in this game by three to seven, a one possession game. I don't see it being a blowout um, by three to seven over the Dallas Cowboys. And then you have a AFC wild card huge game Steelers at Chargers. Um, this is a game that will feel like a Steelers home game. Steelers travel well. Chargers fan base isn't very strong. And so the Steelers will probably buy a lot of the tickets. So Steelers travel very, very well. Um, so home field kind of neutralized. Then you have a situation in the Chargers where they're kind of tail spinning, spinning themselves. We spoke, at the, spoke about them a few weeks ago. We were saying that, man, um, the Chargers seem to be getting rid of that black cat that always seems to be in the in the building, you know, where the Chargers need one break out of seven to happen. And none of the seven happened, you know, or they need, you know, one big play by somebody and it turns into a turnover to, for a touchdown. It's there's things that happen inside the Chargers building that they felt were I felt were just incredibly unlucky. Um, and with that being said, I thought the black cat was leaving. Well, maybe not. Um, you know, they've taken a couple on the chin. They were able to escape Philadelphia, barely. Um, then they got handled pretty well last week. And so now you host the Pittsburgh Steelers team that's lucky to have escaped the Chicago Bears. Um, and that being said, is looking to come in and catch a Baltimore for the AFC North crown. So they're going to come in motivated. I think crowd will be advantage Pittsburgh, but I think talent level is advantage Chargers. So I'm going to go Chargers here um, to win the game by four. Again, another game that's not in Jack's pack. Um, I got the Chargers winning the game by four, 28-24 uh, or 31-27. Um, due to the fact that I, Justin Herbert at this point is considerably better than Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, the better running back, in my opinion, is on the charge as well. Uh, better complete team, especially with guys like Derwin James. Oh, also Pittsburgh without Minka Fitzpatrick and TJ Watt and a starting guard. Um, so it's just too many in injuries slash COVID to overcome for Pittsburgh. Um, I think charges too much for him. I got the charges by four, 31-27. It would be worse against most other teams, but I don't trust the charges to do anything properly. Um, so I've got the Chargers do I do have the Chargers winning this game, however, um, 31-27. And just a quick little a couple of notes. Uh, Superman returns. Uh, Cam Newton will start against the Washington football team against his former head coach, Ron Rivera, uh, as announced by Matt Rule. As announced by Cliff Kingsbury, DeAndre Hopkins is out. 
Um, the Arizona Cardinals have a bye week next week. And so uh, Kingsbury expects Hopkins to return the week after the bye against the Chicago Bears. Uh, Jared Goff is likely out due to injuries. And so the Detroit Lions will start their backup. Khalil Mack has had season-ending foot surgery. So he is out for the year. Um, rough for Khalil Mack. I thought the rumors that his time will be ending in Chicago, either by release or trade. Um, but so rough way to end a tenure that was supposed to bring on a lot of promise in Chicago. But up next, we're going to shift to our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. guys welcome into jack's pack our nfl betting segment where we do pick the point spreads of five games a week uh all odds this week provided by caesar sportsbook i know i spoke last week about we're gonna do oh no it's Bar- barstool this week my apologies uh barstool sportsbook um i spoke about it last week that we were going to start using barstool officially since that is the um, betting partner of LaBerge Casino down here in Baton Rouge. So we were going to start using Barstool pretty much exclusively um, just so the numbers match up a lot better if you guys are listening in the local area um, and want to go place bets based on my numbers um, or just me placing the bets myself. They turn just a little easier. Sometimes half a point matters, hook games, stuff like that. So I want to use a sports book where I know what the number is going to be when I get there. Um and Jack's pack had another down week. Uh, we went five and zero, oh, then four and one, then we went two and three. Now we're one and four. Uh, so we're coming back down to earth a little bit, and we're five hundred on the year. So again, our goal was to hit fifty-seven percent, which would be um, professional gambler level. We're at fifty percent, so I'm breaking even so far. You know, I don't lose anything, not winning anything. But obviously on this show, we want to have a positive ratio. We want to do what we did in the playoffs last year, which was only missed one game the entire playoffs. Um, we're going to jump right into it. Ravens minus five at Bears. Take the Ravens. Um, they have a lot of injuries. They're pretty beat up. But the Ravens got embarrassed by the Miami Dolphins. Flat out embarrassed in Miami, in Lamar's hometown. They were straight up embarrassed. Good teams get embarrassed, bounce back. Um, the Bears... You know, they, they're not throwing in the towel. They competed really well against uh, Pittsburgh. I just don't think they have the physicality standpoint to stand up against Baltimore. I believe the Baltimore defense forces Justin Fields into a couple of picks, uh, especially with the pressure they're going to bring against that offensive line. Feels like a bad matchup for the Bears. Felt kind of easy for me number-wise. Ravens minus five at Bears. Lions at Browns. Browns minus 11. I took the Browns. Same theory as the last game. Good team got embarrassed. Um, The Browns were summarily embarrassed by the Detroit Lions, but the Calvary's on in route. Nick Chubb is back. We know what uh, the Browns do when Nick Chubb is rolling. So the Browns are minus 11. That is a fat number, but I want to get up to that 57%. Um, I'm willing to gamble a little bit on this number. I did like the number, though. Admittedly, if it wasn't, if it was 13 and a half, 14, probably stay away from it. But 11 is intriguing to me. So I'm going to go with the Browns minus 11 over the Lions. Packers minus one at over at Vikings. Take the Packers. That doesn't mean the Packers have to win. I mean, 31-30 is possible. 24-23 is possible. Apparently 16 is possible. So 17-16 is possible. 10-9 is also possible. But I just don't see a way where the Packers don't win this game by more than a point. Offensive advantage. Packers. Motivation advantage, Packers. Skill advantage, Packers. Coaching advantage, Packers. I got the Packers winning this game by 10 or more. I didn't see it. Now, the Vikings summarily should be better than their record. Like I said, the Arizona game, Baltimore, uh, Cincinnati, that's three more games. They should have W's on their record. They should have beat Cooper Rush four. Um, So they're a lot better football team than their record suggests. But one point against the Packers was not enough for me to even consider going Vikings there. So I got the Packers uh, minus one 
over the Vikings. Texans at Titans. Titans minus 10. Take the Titans. Um, Texans are about to start getting blown out. They're about to start entering the tank mode. And the Titans may be the team to kick them into the septic tank. Um, They are a team that's been blown out a few times this year in the Tennessee Titans. And in the Houston Texans, rather. And I think the Titans absolutely dominate this game versus the Texans. I don't think it's ever close except for the kickoff. Um, I've got the Titans winning this game by 17 or 20. Uh, the Titans have mud stumped um, Matt Stafford and the Rams. And then they put a beating on the Saints. I expect them to turn over Tyrod Taylor a couple of times, leading to a couple of sacks and touchdowns. I've got the Tennessee Titans minus 10 over the Texans. 49ers at Jags. Jags plus one and a half. I'm going to take Jacksonville here. Um, now, this was the number that I think is going to be a number that I'm either going to look really, really foolish on or get embarrassed on. And I spoke about the number. I spoke about the show I'm on on Sunday mornings in the Sports Debater Network. Um, sorry, NFL Sunday show live every Sunday, 930 a.m. I spoke about it. I spoke about that show. And on that show, I picked the Rams to own the 49ers. I actually made a few jokes about Shanahan's coaching record. Um, the talent level on the Rams and looked foolish. And I'm going to pick against the 49ers again. Uh, I got the Jaguars here. They're starting to figure things out. Minus one and a half. You make it one of those weird scores with Jacksonville. They defensively put it on Josh Allen and that crew. Uh, I've got the Jaguars winning this game, getting Urban Meyer his third win as an NFL head coach. Um, I got them winning straight up. Uh, Jags plus one and a half. Take the Jags. So I got Ravens minus five over the Bears, uh, Browns minus 11 over the Lions, Packers minus one over the Vikings, Titans minus 10 over the Texans, and Jags plus one and a half over the 49ers. Um, also, whatever the point spread is in the Chiefs-Cowboys game, take the Chiefs. That's my bonus pick. But up next, we're going to shift to the NBA and talk about what's going down there. Welcome into the show, and now we're going to talk about the NBA and what's going down there. Um, Steph's world, and we're living in it, apparently. Um, Steph Curry is out of his mind at the moment. The Warriors are as a team. They're 13-3, and three, best record in the NBA, um, and a lot of people are starting to pick them as title favorites. Uh, Draymond Green debuted his own podcast on the Volume Sports Network, and he talked about how the team heard a lot of the chatter. They heard all the chatter. They heard all the, they'll never be the same without KD and how Steph isn't a leader and all that stuff. He said they heard all of it and don't let them win the effing championship because he said you're never going to hear the end of it from him. Um, and so we know that Steph Curry has, um, it's been, it's come out that he's, he's having a, um, a bad game. He will read social media and during halftime to try and and read the insults people calling him trash to try and motivate him and different stuff like that so obviously the warriors care um i I like it when teams admit that they care it's more genuine that way when you admit that you do hear the chatter that you do hear uh the slander that people say because a lot of times um it is something that players often say we don't hear anything we don't see anything we just put our head downs and work, which we know isn't true. I mean, there was reports uh, doing an NFL reference where uh, the Bears was turning off TVs in Hallis in one Hallis, one George Hallis place, uh, which is the practice facility and the football operations center for the Bears because they didn't want Trubisky seeing what the local media was saying about him. Um, you know, so you hear all kind of stuff. Um, you know, there's a constant refrain. People say that LeBron had a "I told you so" list. Um, after the uh, Heat were up 2-0 against the Mavericks. Um, Michael Jordan, all-time, all-time, Petty, basically said a I told you bleep you list uh, for his Hall of Fame speech. So these guys see, read, and hear everything. Or if they don't see it and read it, they've got people in their camp that see it and read it and tell them. Um, And so Steph Curry and the rest of the Warriors organization is playing like 
hey, we told you so, bleep you, is coming at the end of the season um, because they're trying to win a championship. And they don't even have Klay Thompson back or James Wiseman. So two of their five projected starters are not there right now. And they have the most dominant team. They're first in offense, first in defense, best record in the NBA. Um, Steph Curry is the early MVP favorite. They just smashed uh, the Brooklyn Nets. The fans are back on their side. They got cheers and Barclays, MVP chance. Um, they got big time cheers in their last road game. So it is a very, very interesting time for the Golden State Warriors. It almost feels how it felt right before KD arrived, where the world was not against them. They were actually cheering for them. They wanted them to be successful because they were the new kids on the block. You didn't have this dynastic feel to the Warriors. They just felt like the new kids on the block. You had this babyface assassin in Steph Curry who wasn't a Nike guy. He wasn't indeed a guy. He was Under Armour. His sidekick was Klay Thompson, who wasn't a Nike, wasn't an Adidas. It wasn't even Under Armour. He was anti, uh, right when, or Anta, right when Anta was breaking into the NBA, signing guys um, out of the NBA. Then you got Draymond Green, who doesn't score, but all the players love him because he's a defender and he's a uh, he's a play orchestrator. You know, you had all these guys, Leandro Barbosa, Andrew, uh, not Andrew Wiggins, Andre Iguodala, and the rest of that crew, the strength and numbers crew, were a team many fans rooted for because of the style was different. They reined in a bunch of threes. Um, they passed the ball, beautiful basketball to watch. They played pretty solid defense. And like I said, they were the new kids on the block. They broke up um, the rigid Spurs. You know, Oklahoma City was coming up as well, but they weren't quite there yet. And obviously, you had the behemoth in the East at the time, LeBron James. So now it's starting to feel that way now. KD's gone. Uh, they had a down year last year. Didn't you make the playoffs because they lost both playing games? Went first to the Lakers, into the Grizzlies, disappeared into the ether, and now they show back up. So it's almost like they're getting that fan support, that um, push from the national fan base that they received five, six years ago when they first made their run to the finals. But Steph Curry is out of his mind right now. Um, he's definitely my MVP favorite early on um zion williamson received a bit of good news i'm a pelicans fan so we received a bit of good news on zion williamson um my pelicans think 2 and 15 at the moment it's been rough admittedly i watched pretty much every game last year i may have watched one game start to finish so far this year pieces of a couple of them not at all of most of them um, because they were lost. Ingram was out for six, seven games in a row. Zion hadn't played. No point in stressing myself out and ruining my night. So I didn't watch most of them. Um, but he has progressed to doing one-on-one drills now. He's jogging up and down. He's running. He's doing one-on-one. Uh, contact one-on-one. He can run at full speed now. Really get into conditioning. Uh, they would do another scan on him in five days on November 24th to see if he can progress to full team. Uh, which so far that hadn't been a setback announced so he'd be able to progress to full team which case i would say a week of full team practice maybe we, maybe a week and a half you should probably see him i would expect him right after the first of december december 5th december 6th somewhere in there i would expect the on-court debut of zion williamson probably won't see him in full force of the first of the year now the pelicans could be out of it by then currently they're four games back from 10th um and that's another three four weeks so they could be six seven games back from 10th by the time he even steps on the court, eight, nine, 10 games from 10th by the time he roars at full force. So who knows? But it was a bit of good news, not only for the Pelicans, but for the NBA. You know, I believe that the NBA is better when Zion is good um, because it's another small market in New Orleans having a star who can they can lean on. Um, the NBA probably is coming out of the get all stars out of small markets because of Giannis. So if Zion can make the Pelicans competitive, I believe that they will embrace him staying in New Orleans as well and really bringing in a football market to a mainstream basketball market would be something I'm sure the NBA would look to do. Um, LeBron James seems to be on the mend from his strained abdomen that was at first day to day that turned into um, it turned into a couple of weeks. Um, that turned into a week, that turned into a couple of weeks, that is bordering on three weeks now for LeBron having suffering his abdomen injury. Um, hopefully he gets back on the court tonight against Boston, if, if not sooner. The Lakers are currently 8-8 eight eight without him. Um, 
And so he, he hasn't played most of the year. He's only played five or six games. So hopefully they can uh, get LeBron on the court, re, begin to reacclimate him with Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook. And the rest of that team, Carmelo Anthony, Kent Bazemore, uh, Wayne Ellington, and the crew. Um, hopefully they can get that together so that the Lakers can be the team many of us thought they would be uh, when the season started. The Wizards. You know, the damn Wizards. The Bradley Bill, Kyle Kuzma, Montrezl Harrell, KCP, Roy Huchamara. Excuse me if I, excuse me if I mispronounced that. And the rest Ish Smith, I believe, and Ish Smith in Charlotte. And the rest of that crew, the damn Wizards, are top two in the East right now. They are absolutely battling at every single night. Um, Bradley Bill is the unquestioned leader. We spoke about him last week. He's the unquestioned leader of that team. Uh, this is the first time pretty much in his career he hasn't had a dominant lead guard luring over him. Because even those years he played when John Wall was injured, John Wall was a big piece of the franchise because A, he was draining big money out due to his contract, and B, it was always, well, this is nice, but when John Wall comes back. So this is the first time in his career he is operating the team completely solo dolo, completely as the lead guard with no dom- dominating figure at the point guard position above him. Um, obviously, last year he had Russell Westbrook, in which the two of them struggled to get on the same page for much of the year, in perfect honesty. And they were ultimately, uh, they ultimately did get on the same page towards the latter part of the season um, and made a push into the playoffs to lose to Philadelphia, but they were able to get into the playoffs. I think that this year's iteration of the Wizards will do even better than that uh, because it's unquestioned Bradley Bill's team and then good role players around him. So, we're going to jump into something. I'm going to jump into a topic that I don't know much about just yet. Not much information out just yet. Hell, the, the topic itself is still in the preliminary stages. Um, But the NBA general managers have decided to form a union. Probably thinking, Justin, what's, what's wrong with that? They don't have a union. It's to be unionized. This comes out after the Portland Trailblazers GM is union is investigated for workplace misconduct, hostile work environment, all that good stuff. And then this report of a union appears. Now, according to the report, according to follow-up reports, this union talk was happened before the Portland Trailblazers general manager ever got investigated. But isn't it odd this union magically wants to appear publicly after this investigation begins? Now, I do agree in a situation like sports, where everybody else has a damn union but people in management, I'm not mad at it. The owners have to vote on stuff. That's basically a unit, a union. The coaches union, the players union, the referees have a union. Everybody, that is anybody in professional sports, has unions or some fact simile of a union, except for people in management. There's no general manager union. There's no vice president union. There's no, you know, head equipment manager union. No, it's just if you are in a position, if you are a position of administration or management in the NBA, you do not have a union unless you are a coach. Period. So having a union is my problem. It is the timing of the union talk. It would be the equivalent of you're at your job, at your accounting firm, at your um, you know, business law firm, and you're there, and you work a position. Let's say at the accounting firm, you're a clerk, and one, and you get investigated as a clerk. The clerks get investigated. A major clerk gets investigated, and then all of a sudden, all the clerks decide to form a union. Or it comes out that all the clerks have been talking for months to form this union to give you guys a voice for the voiceless, to give you guys a a, a media face, to, you know, to give you guys something where. If a situation like this were to occur, you would have the same representation, protection, and backing that other people in different departments have. To me, it feels like something where, okay, yeah, the Portland guy may have to fall on his sword for whatever he's done, but we're going to protect our own in terms of fellow general managers and try to keep them and keep, keep their noses clean. Even if something does go wrong, you know, we will have the means to protect ourselves in the media and protect ourselves overall with this union 
Um, that's how it felt to me. I could be wrong. Like I said, according to the report or the official release, I would be wrong because I said it's only done to protect their skin. They said it was done beforehand. Hey, we'll see about that. Um, but that is how I feel about the situation. Uh, I just feel like it's something that you're doing to protect your skin. And it makes the Portland guy look even more A, guilty, and B, how many others have, this, have these issues to where randomly or preemptively or reactively forming a union is the correct way to go for a position that's never had a union ever um and how much control does his union have is another question but up next we're going to shift to the college football playoff and talk about what's happening in college football just in general um and along with some big time coaching news guys and welcome back into the show and now we are going to talk about the college football in general uh, we're gonna start off with the playoff so the seating remained unchanged uh from last week uh, the top seven did not move uh, as georgia one alabama two oregon three ohio state four cincinnati five michigan six michigan state seven so my scenarios from last week do not change as well. If you are Cincinnati, here's what you are hoping for. You are hoping for Georgia beating Alabama or somebody else beating Alabama before they get to Georgia. Because if Georgia beats Bama by three, does Bama fall to four and stay in? But then you'd have Georgia play Bama again. In a, you know, and that's just asking for. I mean, that that's just too much favoritism. So you're you're hoping that somebody beats Alabama uh before they get to the playoff. Why? Because that opens up a spot. Now, let's move to uh, the Pac-12 as well. You're hoping somebody beats Oregon in the Rose in the Pac-12 championship game. Because if Oregon loses again, they're out. Um, or Alabama loses again, they're out. So if you free up those two spots, Cincinnati wins out. They have no choice but to be a top four team and to get the opportunity to compete for a national champion, which is what teams like UCF, Boise State, um, and other small uh, group of five schools just wanted the opportunity to compete for the national championship. Um, and so that is what I'm looking at if I'm a Cincinnati team. I am huge SEC and Pac-12 fans against everybody that plays Alabama or Oregon because if those two teams fall out, Cincinnati basically has no choice but to be in because four, six, and seven are all Big Ten teams, um, which would be uh, they're going to get a spot in. And so... Alabama and Oregon are the teams that I'm Cincinnati. I'm rooting against at any and all times. But some coaching news. So obviously the two big jobs out there are USC um, and LSU currently. Now Miami could open up, but USC and Miami are the two big jobs out right now. Um, take one name out the list. Mel Tucker for any job. In the country, uh, Michigan State reportedly is preparing a 10-year, $95 million offer to Mel Tucker to ensure he never leaves East Lansing um, to go to another job. He said it on Draymond Green's podcast. He said he never saw Michigan State with a stopgap. When he took the Michigan State deal after leaving Colorado in such a short time period, he looked at it as a place he would be for a long time. And signing a 10-year, $95 million deal would do just that. Um, it would ensure that um, he never leaves East Lansing because the buyout would be too massive for a school to come in and buy. And along with firing him would be massively expensive as well. So he would be in control of the East Lansing program for another eight seasons at least until the buyout number makes sense. Um, so that leaves a person like a James Franklin um, for USC. I think that's USC's primary target will be James Franklin. Um, the recruiting at Penn State has slowed down severely. Um, they, I don't think they've had a new commitment since the rumor started, and that could be a little telltale sign. If he is truly maybe starting to work kids towards USC or something like that, we don't know. But James Franklin, also the team performance has nosedived since the rumors have come out. So 
I think James Franklin ultimately is heading to USC. As opposed to a coaching search, I'm a little closer to, um, which is the LSU coaching search. I'm an LSU fan. I live in Baton Rouge. I'm a little closer to this. My ears a little bit close to the ground here, um, obviously. And the big news that came out, uh, uh, it was on the volume as well as J Town Sports, was that LSU has offered Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley an eight-year, $96 million contract to leave Norman and to relocate to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, that would be $12 million a year, would instantly make him the highest paid coach in college football. Um, and it would raise his current, from his current salary of $7.6 million, it would be raised up to $12 million. Huge deal. Um, of course, when this came out, both teams jumped. Um, both sides started putting out, you know, um, both sides started putting out different things. So we had people reporting that, oh, Oklahoma can match an offer like that, but they won't. If the if LSU truly put an offer like that out to Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma won't match it. Um, then you've got guys saying that regardless of the money, Lincoln Riley won't leave Norman. He's staying there. Um, I believe that Oklahoma will not match something that that's a massive commitment. Eight years, $96 million, but it's not shocking. Look at what Scott Woodward did when he was at Texas A&M. He put $100 million in Jimbo Fisher's face. Um, he gave a massive deal to Sark when he was at Washington. Not this big, obviously, but, you know, so he'd be basically committing another $100 million to um, Lincoln Riley. That's massive, but it would put LSU immediately in the national title picture. Um, why? It would, it would put him in that title picture because Lincoln Riley is a mastermind of offense. You keep Durante Jones if you're LSU. That defense is figuring it out. Uh, I've heard by, from multiple sources that Ed Ogeron has pulled the reins back a little bit from either side of the ball. He's effectively a fan now. Um, he does the media interviews. He recruits, and that's pretty much it. He doesn't do anything else. Um, he runs in terms of leading either side of the ball. Is Durante Jones' defense? Is Jake Pizza's offense? Um, and you're seeing the massive, the immediate massive improvement, um, from this. I heard that he pulled the reins back pretty much starting with the Ole Miss game, but you saw it against Alabama. The defense played flawlessly. You saw it against Arkansas. The defense played flawlessly. Um, and so if that's truly Durante Jones is doing, then you have to keep him around if you're Lincoln Riley and you just bring in your OC with you, bring in your offensive staff, work with the defensive staff, because you got guys like Corey Raymond who've been recruiting for LSU with the top recruiter, landing guys like Eli Ricks, Dwight McGlother, and Derek Stingley, just to name a few since he's been there, especially recently. Um, and that would be one higher LSU could do. Dave Aranda, obviously from Baylor, former uh, defensive coordinator at LSU under Les Miles, um, left when Ed Ogeron got the job because uh, Aranda picked up the Baylor head coaching job. Now, he could bring in his OC as well, but his mentor slash current defensive coordinator, Ron Roberts, could move with him as well. Ron Roberts was at Southeastern Louisiana, which is in Hammond, uh, 45 minutes away from Baton Rouge. Uh, so he knows the area as well. Um, but maybe Ron Roberts stays in time to get the Baylor head coaching job. Um, so that would be probably big for him. Uh, Billy Napier, who's at uh, Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, which is about an hour, 15 minutes away from Baton Rouge. Um, he's a big candidate for the job as well. Now I'm starting to hear Mark Stoops, who's the head coach of Kentucky. His name has entered the fray. Um, Bill O'Brien, the current often embattled offensive coordinator for Alabama. His name has entered the fray. Lane Kiffin now is linked to the possible opening at Miami. But he was, he was in the Baton Rouge LSU sweepstakes as well. Scott Woodward reportedly is still trying to pry Jimbo Fisher away from Texas A&M. He's not giving up on that as well. So it's a wide-ranging net. Uh, there's still a couple of weeks minimum left in the LSU season. Um, I expect the decision to be made, a hire to be made, not too long after the season ends, regular season ends. So if it ends in 14 days or 8 days, I would expect the decision made within the next 14. Um, someone hired press conference, purple LSU polo or suit with the hat on, on the recruiting trail the next day. Um, 
And that'll be my expectation. That's what he did. He hired Sarkeesian two days after the season ended at Washington. And he pulled Jimbo Fisher right out from under uh, Miami, not Miami, Florida State, to get him to Texas A&M right after the season ended as well. And so he, that's his track record. I expect him to continue that at LSU. Um, but huge news all through college football. Um, but that is all we have for today. I'm glad you guys were able to hang out with me on this lovely Friday. A podcast coming out a little later than normal. It's going to come out around 4 instead of around 3. Uh, it's Central Time, obviously. But I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.